0: I'll just, I'll take it either way, man, that's good stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, while the young people are dismissed, as they go, uh, what a great group of young people here today, they did good in Sunday school this morning, grateful for all the children God blessed us with here. While the rest of you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13, we had a great banquet last night, we're celebrating Valentine's Day tomorrow, it's a great time to celebrate relationships, after all, a man is incomplete until he's married, then he's finished. That might have, that might have come out wrong. Valentine's Day is a great day to give gifts. I uh, heard about one woman who was taking an afternoon nap and she woke up. She told her husband, I just dreamed you gave me a pearl necklace. He says, what do you think that means? And he kind of had a sly look. He says, I think you'll find out tonight. And so later that evening, he came home and he had a small package that he gave to her. And she was, of course, absolutely delighted, opened it up, found a book entitled The Meeting of Dreams. You know, I know men are so thoughtful. Amen. That's that's just something that comes naturally to us. And uh, so we're grateful for that. Today, I want to look at what the Bible, though, has to say about this idea of love. Uh, we're in First Corinthians chapter 13. Let's start reading with the verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. As we know when we read this, uh, charity is the old word for, old English word for love. We're talking here about love. Let's uh, pray and ask God to be with us. Thank you, Father, for this time, a reading of your word. We pray you bless it and use it. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage we just read is obviously a very famous passage. It's called the Love Chapter of the Bible. It's often read and it's preached at weddings and other places like that, Bank Valentine's meetings and, and uh, those t- different times. We bring up First Corinthians 13. I myself use this passage when I uh, perform a wedding and give the challenge to the bride and groom. When we read it or hear it, especially at a wedding, often we hear those words and we see the, the love in the air, the bride and the groom. We just think, oh, you know, those are, those words are so sweet and they're so in love and it's such a warm feeling in our stomach. Paul's aim, though, in writing this was not to put butterflies into your stomach. And I can assure you that those who he was writing to did not receive it that way. Because what we see here are some pretty big bombshells in this passage that I want to point out this morning that are pretty astounding. In fact, we're going to look today at some really hard truths about what Paul here says about love, what it is and what it is not. Now, it helps us to understand who is writing to it. In, in Bible study, as you read your Bible and you study your Bible, you always want to ask the who, what, when, where question. Who is it being written to? And that'll help you to understand it. Corinth was a, of all the cities in the ancient world, was probably the most like our New York City, New York. I mean, it was a bustling business center of the world it was a happening place to be it was a place of commerce it was a port city it was a major economic center people who went to Corinth went there with one goal and that was to be successful to make it big nobody really went there to have a life it was the rat race for success and it was uh, the the city of Corinth was reestablished in 44 BC by Julius Caesar as a Roman colony and so it, the, the city that was there now wasn't that old. In fact, it was only a few decades old, which means that <coughs> the people that Paul's writing to there, uh, they're not really a native population. It's a place where people have come together to make it big. Naturally then, it attracted uh, resourceful, talented, ambitious, passionate kind of people. Now, it's no surprise, because it's really never a surprise, that in the church of Corinth, the Christians there had kind of taken on the culture of the surrounding area. It really happens about everywhere you go. People are like people are. And so churches within uh, areas like this, you can see that they reflected the culture. You can see that in a way that Paul addresses them. In verses 1 through 3, what we just read, We we see Paul talking about what they already have. Essentially, he says, you have qualities. You have this, you have that. So what? That's essentially what Paul is saying here. Just take a look at the things he lists off in verses 1 through 3. They were gifted. They were gifted in prophecy and communication, in faith that moves mountains, in leadership. They're brilliant. They're teachers. They're scholars. They're gifted. They're talented. But then Paul changes gears in the following verses. Now, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, we understand, you kind of look at the book as a whole, that Paul criticizes them much because of their disputing and their fighting, their disorderliness, their carnal spirit, all the problems they're having in the church. So in verses 4 through 7 is a list of the things that the Corinthians are not. Paul is not just saying here this, you know, what's love, let's define it, love is kind, love is patient. What he's saying here really is, speaks specifically to them. You're a talented group of people. What you do is great. What you are Stinks. It's essentially what he's saying in this passage. Your giftedness is great, but your character, not so much. Paul, to this culture that puts all this emphasis on achievement and talent, he levels at them, I don't care how rich you are, I don't care how successful you are, I don't care how talented you are, if you are impatient, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-pitying, if you're vain, you have nothing. You are nothing. What you do counts for nothing. Don't say, well, I'm a successful person, I just have a few issues to deal with. No, Paul just pulls it out directly here and says, you have nothing and you are nothing. He pulls no punches. It seems a little harsh. He says character is everything. It's not ability, not talent, not achievement, but character. I'm preaching today on growth as we are going through our growth series from the inside. Because what's on the inside really matters. Do you remember when maybe a few years ago, when you were younger, or maybe you're younger now, and, uh, dating age, and someone tells you about this guy. You really ought to meet this guy. Maybe you ought to go out on a date with him. And you ask, well, tell me about him. Is he tall? Is he handsome? Is good looking? And you hear back, well, he's got a nice personality. Everybody here immediately knows what that means. He's so ugly, his mom fed him with a slingshot. You know, He had to trick-or-treat over the phone. We're talking a guy that's hard to look at. And uh, so it's a way of our making fun of the fact that maybe he's not successful, talented, or good-looking, but Paul is reversing this. He is putting all the emphasis on character. The other things don't matter. Without character, without true inner qualities that he's talking about here, you're nothing, he says. So what is true heart character? What is inner love and joy? Well, this morning I'm going to look through this passage, we'll unpack it, and we're going to look at two negatives and one positive that will help us hopefully to see uh, do we have the right kind of love in our hearts. Maybe it will help to uh, determine that and help us to do better. Number one, having character is not the same as having talent. We see this in this passage, and Paul, it really is kind of a bombshell, because look at verse 2, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, So that I could remove mountains, have not love, I'm nothing. Think about hearing that, especially if you are a people that are driven to success and he's listing some things that are really impressive. But without charity, without love, you got nothing. You got nothing. First of all, look at what he says here about faith that can move mountains. I don't believe here Paul is talking about saving faith here, the kind of faith that relates you to God. Faith that moves mountains could be seen here as a leadership gift. Leadership, after all, is the ability to get people to do what they otherwise would not be able to surmount certain obstacles or accomplish certain things, and you as a leader are able to get them there. It's a gift that enables you to get people to do what they otherwise couldn't do. And then he mentions prophecy. Not just a communication gift here, but direct revelation from God. He says, so that they might understand all mysteries. This is amazing here. Paul is saying you can be a great leader in the church you can help hundreds of people. You may understand the Bible, and you may be able to explain it to others. Uh, but and by the way, this isn't a false prophet. I think in verse two, there's a real Bible understander here. God may have used you as a great leader. He could have maybe used you miraculously, even, and uh, done miracles. And you not be a Christian at all. You see, now that's that's really hard to believe. Well, over in Matthew seven twenty two, he lays it out even clearer. Jesus is talking. He says, "Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord." Uh, Have we not prophesied in thy name and not have cast out devils and have done many works? And I will profess to them, I never knew you. To me, that is the saddest verse in the New Testament. It's one thing for somebody to just deny God, want nothing to do with him, never think about him. It's another thing, like people in my family who are still remain in the Amish religion, and they are deeply, deeply religious, denying themselves all kinds of things so that they might merit the favor of God, and it does nothing for them because what we do does nothing to save our souls. We can't do enough to save our souls. He says very clearly all throughout the Bible, it's not of works that we have done, it's his mercy that he saves us with. And so all these things that we do is to no avail uh, to try to win the merit of God. The phrase here, wonderful works, the original word is power for performing miracles. That's what it means. So it says on that day that people will stand before Christ. They'll say, we preached, we prophesied, we did miracles for you. Jesus will answer, I never, so what's going on there? What's going on there is a disconnect between what we do and a real relationship. Because what, what is required to go to heaven, what is required to live victoriously as a Christian, is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just a list of things that we do. That's religion. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. You can be gifted and never experience the special saving work of Jesus Christ in your heart. Putting it in another way here, it's possible to give your talents to the service of God, but never give your heart to Him. Many people do exactly that. There's something about gifts here that's interesting. Because all of us have some kind of gift. I love to explain this especially to young people, just the young man that we led to Christ recently is able to explain to him how God has a plan for your life. Not only that, he basically molds you for that plan. He makes you for the plan he has for you. It's a wonderful thought. And so he has this desire for you. And so he gives all of us gifts and different ones. But uh, some people have the gift of teaching. The next thing you know, you're teaching. You're doing well. God's using you. People are being helped. You have the sense that you're doing something right for them. They tell you how great you are. Everybody observes that uh, as they look at your life, that God is walking with them, God's using them. It can go to your head. You can think that I must have fine character. I must be walking with God. The evidence is right here before me. I'm so good at what I do. We need to be very careful here because this is not really a foregone conclusion. Uh, We constantly mistake talent for character. The Bible does not mistake talent for character. The Bible always sees them differently. Now, that's the worst thing we can do because talent is not character. Matter of fact, a lot of talent and very little character can be spiritual poison. I want to point that out further in just a few moments here. Uh, Simply because we mistake ability for character. Character is ultimately important. You remember when David was being chosen, Uh, Samuel goes out to... Uh, Jesse's house, and he, uh, he's, God has told him, I've, I've chosen one of his sons to be king. David's out watching the sheep sitting on a rock, and he's not even invited to the party. And all of his brothers <coughs> uh, prayed in front of Samuel. Each one, Samuel says, oh, look at him, tall, dark, and handsome, like me. And uh, each one of them come up uh, in front of him, and he thinks, hey, he looks just like somebody that could be king. And God said, nope, not him, not him, not him. And it, at last, it ended up being David. And then God told, I can't remember exactly the the wording of the verse, but God says uh, to Samuel that when you look at somebody and measure them, understand God does not look at the size of his stature. He looks at the content of his character. That's what's important. Because what people see uh, or what people think about you, that's reputation. Reputation's good. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That's a good thing. We ought to have a good reputation. But what people think about you is reputation. What you really are. Is your character. And that's what's really important. The thing that Paul's trying to say here, I believe, is that it is possible to do, 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 and still be nothing. All this I'm doing, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and still be nothing. This can lead to uh, disastrous results. A good thing for us to ask ourselves a couple of questions today. Am I hiding behind the good things I'm doing for other people and the praise that they give? Am I hiding behind my abilities and my talents and yet? I know in my heart of hearts, there's no joy there. There's no peace there. There's no fulfillment there. Do I constantly feel slighted? One of the things that has bothered me immensely, and I'm sure you, you too, is when preachers fall. It's a hard thing for me to bear. And I tell you, I have more than once, as I, as somebody, usually it's somebody to me, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? And you, uh, often you can even pull it up online. I'm thinking of somebody right now, many of you would know his name a uh, successful pastor, dynamic pastor, nationwide impact. I would look at his ministry and think he's doing things I couldn't even imagine. He's in prison today for having an affair with an underage girl. How does that happen? How does that happen? And I can tell you, when I see those type of things, I, I have trembled <laughs> at those stories, at the thought, because this is somebody I look up to and I think, uh, if they can do it, my goodness, I'm susceptible as well. Every one of us are, by the way. Take heed lest you fall. How does that happen? I think this answers the question. There's talent. There's ability. There's the gift of prophecy. There's the faith to move mountains. But underneath it all, there's lacking a character, a true character, a real love for God and the people of God. And Paul says, you're nothing, like the triangle said to the circle. You're pointless." We need to examine the aspects of a really changed heart so that we can't wriggle out from beneath that and hide from even ourselves. So the first thing it's not. Real true love, real inner heart character, is not from gifts. Number two, inner heart character is not just being good. Here verse three gives us another list. Look at that. We we saw verse one and two. <coughs> but verse three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, have not charity, it profiteth thee nothing. Now it's almost here like Paul's listening to a different voice. It's almost like he's talking to a different person. If you see the shift there, uh, maybe there's someone who says, yes, I agree with what you said about verse 2. I, prophecy and leadership and speakers, all those gifts and what those talents. Uh, that's not what we need. That doesn't really measure a person. What we need is moral, virtuous behavior. And then he comes to verse 3. I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. I give my body to be burned. We're talking here about good works. For example, giving to the poor. This is a generosity to one's fellow man. And not only that, it says, give all to the poor. Here's a person that's willing to live a simple and disciplined, self-denying life. And then he goes on, giving my body to be burned. This is someone that's so committed, I'm going to live for my values even if it costs my life. As some kind of person. I mean, think about it. Do we not judge whether a person is good with those values? I treats other people. And uh, here he's willing to give his life for his beliefs. <clears throat> but Paul takes the virtue list and he does exactly the same thing he did with the gift list. Slams it. It's not going to cut it there. Do so you have all these gifts? You're nothing without love. Now you have all these virtues? You're still nothing without love. It's, it's a kind of shocking to read that. And uh, it can be confusing. But here's what Paul is doing and we need to do as well today. He is going a little bit deeper than we often do as we read this Past Years ago, Brother West remembers this. Aristotle came up with a virtue list. Came out with, <laughs> I, I owed him one, I'm sorry. All right, He came out with nine virtues. Wisdom, prudence, justice, fortitude, courage, liberality, magnificence, nobility, and temperance. That's a great list, by the way. Uh, All of those would be noble endeavors. But here's the thing with that list, and I don't want us to miss this. None of them are still down to the heart level because we could do every single one of them and still not reveal our true, true inner character. How can that be here? Paul is saying it's possible to be incredibly virtuous, sacrificing your time, sacrificing your money, sacrificing your very life for other people and still be nothing. I want you to notice something in the wording here, though it changes a little bit in verse three. Notice this time he doesn't say that I am nothing. he says it profiteth me nothing." The word profiteth comes from an original word. The root word literally means to count to count. In other words, you can do it all and you still don't count. You still don't merit anything. You see, we are desperate. every one of us are desperate to count. we're desperate to feel worthy. it's just a natural human desire for every one of us. Uh, And so what do we do? We try to be a good person. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. We are talking about behaviorally loving things. If I can just remind you again, uh, sin is not a behavioral problem. Sin is a condition. Now, humanity, uh, all the religions, by the way, recently somebody asked me, said, preacher, you got, uh, how how, how do you expect somebody like me to pick the right religion? There's Thousands and thousands of religions out there. No, there's only two religions in the entire world. One of them is spelt D-O. One of them is spelt D-O-N-E. That's the only two options. Now, the D-O religions take different forms, but they really all come down to the same thing. It's up to me to live a certain way to earn my way to heaven. And whether you're a Muslim or a Methodist, that's the same thing uh, if you don't put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is a side point there. I give you these things for free sometimes. Isn't that nice? Don't even charge any extra. And so because we want to feel better or feel worthy or to count, we change our behavior, and sin is not a behavioral problem. You cannot solve the sin problem by changing your behavior any more than you could cure your cancer by changing your behavior. It is a condition. It's not a behavioral problem. It's not something you can do anything about. We can make it better. We can, it's like, a, I heard an a illustration of the uh, of a cer- bunch of warthogs standing around. And they're talking about which one of them is the best looking. Big, big old circle of warthogs. Somebody from the outside looks on that. You guys are all ugly. Have you seen a warthog? You are hideous. Every single one of you. It doesn't matter who's the best looking. You're all ugly. That's how it is us as sinners. We're all sinners. We might, uh, we've all come short of the glory of God. And so somebody might be a little better or smell a little better or appear a little better but there's nothing that we can really do to solve the sin problem. It's not a behavioral issue. This is, I believe, what Paul is talking about here. Because if you do good things to gain a sense of worth or to get to the point where you can say, I count now, now I know I'm somebody, then what you do is worthless. They don't please God. They don't enhance your own character. They don't help anyone else. If the reason that you are kind and generous to somebody or love somebody is to count or to feel worthy, Who's it about? It's about you. It's not about them. And real, true love is always selfless, not about our own self. And Paul, I believe, is pointing this out here. It is possible, he says, to be loving without love. Loving in your behavior and in your heart, it's still all about you. Now, here's the question: Because you know, whenever I put messages together like this or study out these things, it's one thing to see it, but I got to ask some questions to follow up. How do I know? How do we see if this is in my life? Where do I uh, determine if my love is pure? How do you know if your service and love for other people is really about them and serving Christ, or is it more about you? Well, there's two things in this text that tells us that you can look at this and see to what degree in your life it's real. First of all, notice that it does not say here, love does not rape, love does not murder, love does not rob banks. Paul is not using the Ten Commandments. This is much more subtle. This is character. This is stuff below the rules, uh, below behavior. This is who you really are. He says, you can give your money away. You can have faith that moves mountains. You can follow all the rules. You can be a good person. But underneath all that, are you irritable? Are you vain? Are you self-centered? Are you always getting your feelings hurt? Your service is not being driven by love. Your moral virtue is not being driven by love. It's about you. And I got to tell you, People in the, in our society, in our culture today, they have so warped this idea of love. Read People, don't read People magazine, but if you were to read People magazine, you want to use that as a relationship guide? Really? I mean, they can't stay married for five, ten minutes and they're splitting up again. It's not love. It's it's something focused on self, not outward. And we as as Christians, as God's children, need to be different than the world. Here, uh, so it, it, uh, a lot of times this, this so-called love is still all about ourselves. The second test Paul gives us to identify a loveless service and goodness is found in verse 7 and 8. I want to look at that with me. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Here, here's a, Another test, friends, real love that's not based on you doesn't give up, doesn't stop, doesn't disappear, doesn't dissipate. Real love keeps going. Have you ever had someone love you, brag you up, uplift you, brag about you to others? And they treat you like you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, Then one day they turn on you, they don't even consider you a friend anymore, and everything changes? Real love does not do that. Real love does not quit. Real love does not fall apart. Real love Hollywood treats love like a puddle, something you can fall into. The problem with something you can fall into is you can fall back out of it too. Love isn't something you fall into. Love is a choice. It's a it's a conscious decision that we make. Now let me give you two real world world examples here of the wrong kind of love. And I, I have to admit, as I uh put these together and, and I know they're factual, but there's uh some of it, I, I still haven't got the whys behind it all. I just know it's two valid examples. Uh, two people, first of all, two people fall madly in love and they let the world know it. Man, I mean, they are all over each other and love each other. Little time goes by, beauty fades, weight is gained, expectations are unmet, and the next thing you know, the marriage falls apart. What was that love about? It was really rather simple. That person met a need. It wasn't about... Uh, giving, 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 it was a selfish kind of thing. Maybe that person met, met the need to look who I'm married to or, or uh, fi- I finally have validation. And when they stopped meeting that need, then that love failed. That love wasn't real love, it was all about them. Here's another example. By the way, Paul says, do not mistake being good, virtuous, and sacrificial for a heart that's really changed by God, for real godly love. Another example is one that's long baffled me. Don't ask me to explain this. I just know it's the case, statistically speaking. In a family where one spouse is a drug addict or an alcoholic and uh, the other spouse is not, over the years, the healthy spouse is obviously sacrificing much, suffering much for the unhealthy spouse. The sacrifices and the pain are terrible. Uh, It's an awful thing to live through. The healthy spouse is constantly maybe saying or at least thinking, you don't know how much I love you, I've done this for you for years. The healthy spouse is constantly feeling love and getting love, but here's what's fascinating. Research shows that a shocking number of times when that unhealthy spouse becomes clean, gets their life together, and they're sober, the marriage dissolves. I can't figure that out for the life of me, but it's true a surprising number of times, statistically speaking. Why would the healthy spouse suddenly find it difficult to love the person that is now clean? Well, one reason is because the relationship might have been all about them. They felt the need to be a savior, to be needed, to be indispensable. Look at the depths that I've gone to. Look how I'm constantly sacrificing, giving and giving, and all of a sudden that person gets better and the love is gone. Who is it all about then? And, and I don't understand all the ins and outs of that type of thinking, but Paul is saying here it's impossible to be in what looks like loving relationships, and yet it's all about you. Can you begin to see now why the Corinthians that are reading this might say, they're not going, oh, First Corinthians 13. This is tough stuff, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to listen to this. I mean, because what do we do? If somebody asks you, how good of a Christian are you, what's the first thing you do? I do this, 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 I do this. That's how we gauge ourselves. And yet Paul's trying to turn that on its head. It's not about what you do, it's about what you are. That's what's so important. That's how God, when God measures a man, he puts the tape around the heart, not the action. All right, moving on here. I don't have too much longer. but here are two things that uh, we understand. Inner character is not being gifted and it's not being good. He's just pointed that out then what is it? Well, there's three G's here, by the way. If it's not being gifted and it's not being good, what is it then? Here's our positive. It is being graced. Inner, heart, character, real love is being graced. Inner character comes from a complete change in the way that we approach God. We see this in verse 1. Though I speak <coughs> with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What is that? That's just noise. In I mean, there's a place for them in you know, other large group of instruments, but you take them by themselves, is just noise. When, does any parent buy their child for Christmas a sounding brass? No, we got enough sense not to do that. That's a lot of noise, uh, or a tinkling cymbal. There's no melody, no harmony in, in those individually. It's just noise. A lot of people and a lot of churches are just noise because they don't lack because they lack true love. Can't tell by the toot to the horn. How much gas is in the tank? But a lot of people still toot their horns and uh, make a lot of noise. A sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal is a way of saying, "Hey, hey, attention! Look at me! Pay attention to me! Uh, notice me!" Paul is saying here it's possible to really uh, to become very Christiany and not become a Christian. You can't become a Christian by going to church anymore. That you can become a car by going to a garage. I mean, it, it takes inner heart change. It's not about changing our behavior. It's, it's the same in religion. I'm going to do all these things so I count for God. The truth is that you're supposed to know you count with God before you do it. And that's the great thing about Christianity. We know that God loves us. Uh, he loved us before we deserved it. He, uh, The Bible says God first loved us. He sent his son, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I like that word, whosoever whosoever means me, and it means you, anybody who comes to him. You're not loving people and serving God out of an emptiness, but in response to a fullness, if you do it right, if you respond out of Godly love. Then the second question is, how do we do it? How do we achieve that? Did you ever notice that we look at verses 4 through 7 here? We just read them here a few minutes ago, and a lot of times we look at that as a list of adjectives. When in truth, everything in verses 4 through 7 is a set of verbs. Can I remind you? Love is a verb, not a noun. You don't fall in love noun. You love verb. It's difficult sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's not the easiest thing uh, to love certain people uh, or other. you ever notice that uh, Jesus tells us to love two types of people in the Bible? He says, love your neighbors. Then he says, love your enemies. Often the same people. I think that's why he says that. Uh Here's what it means. Love suffers a long time with patience. Love shows kindness. Love does not burn with envy. It does not get inflated in its own importance. It is never rude or ill-tempered. Love is not self-centered. Rather, love joyfully celebrates truth. It gives all kinds of support. It never exhausts hope. Love never gives up. In other words, Paul here is not giving us a set of guidelines. Paul is giving us a person. This is important for us to see. Don't miss this. He's given us a person. Now, what 1 Corinthians 13, that's really what it's doing here is showing us (coughs) love in a person, love embodied in somebody. Now, it's not that hard if we read the whole book of 1 Corinthians and we have it all in its context because Paul starts out (coughs) the the book dealing with the terrible character flaws in these Christians. They're fighting, there's jealousy, there's envy, there's strife. And in chapter 1, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but in chapter 1, he essentially says, you're forgetting the cross. He said, how can you be proud if you remember the cross? How can you be emotionally needy if you remember the cross? In chapter 1, he refers to some people that are saying, I'm of Paul. And other people, oh, no, 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 I'm of Apollos. And others said, oh, no, I'm of Peter. You know what Paul's response was? But did Paul die for you? Did Peter give his life for you on the cross? No, 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 he says it's all about the cross. And he's pointing them constantly to that. And I believe what he is painting an overall picture. You will never become a truly loving person just by living up to a bunch of behavioral descriptors. He says, think of the cross. That's where he points people to. How can I be proud if I know it took the death of the Son of God to save me? How can I ever be emotionally needy if I know that the Son of God himself left the glories of heaven to come to earth and live a life to save me? That should uh, fill our... Void there. Paul starts in 1 Corinthians telling us the only way to deal with your character flaws is through the cross. Now you might say, well, that's all fine and good, but we come here in 1 Corinthians 13 and Paul doesn't mention the cross at all. Really? Look at what he says. What is the ultimate example of suffering patiently? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What Jesus Christ looked down at the people he was dying for and he stayed on that cross when he didn't have to where do you find the ultimate example of seeketh not her own? How about the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Where do you see the ultimate example of beareth all things? Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. cross is all over this, if we just see it. Here's the key. You look at verses 4 through 7. If you look at that as a guide for your behavior, you'll really never get there. because It'll help your behavior. Benjamin Franklin is a great example of this. Benjamin Franklin worked very hard to instill good habits into his life, and he was a great statesman. I do not believe by his own personal testimony that he was a saved man. So it was not on the inside, but he did a great job schooling himself to show it on the outside. You might be a better person, but it won't do anything for you uh, deep down. And uh, so if you see him, though, through this, pouring himself, talking about Jesus Christ, into you, if you see him that... As if you see this as a person and what Christ has done, that's going to change everything because if you see this love not as something you have to do first, but as something that was done for you first and to you, that makes all the difference in the world. Jonathan Edwards said the definition of love, his definition he gave, love is putting your happiness into the happiness of another. The Bible said of Christ in Isaiah 62, 11, behold, thy salvation cometh, behold, his reward is with him. What is his reward? Well, Jesus Christ's reward is simply your joy. He put His happiness into your happiness. He set aside His glory to experience a humble birth, a rejected life, and a criminal's death. It's Philippians two seven. But He made Himself of no reputation, but took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Oh, friend, Listen, you don't have a to-do list to count. You don't have to accomplish a big to-do list to count with God. You already count with God. He loved you so much that He left the glories and splendors of heaven to come and die a criminal's death for you. That's why the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's before you changed your behavior. Before you made any uh, religious uh, decisions, God died for you. Lord Jesus Christ did. You can't earn it. You already count with God. What a blessing. If you see Him loving you like that, if we understand the cross, we understand the sacrifice, we understand how much love that God and Jesus Christ, are through Jesus Christ, has for us. When we get a true, clear understanding for us, the most natural thing in all the world is for us to do that for others. It's an outpouring of love to others when we understand His love for us. You could never, I really believe this because it's true in my life, we cannot manufacture this kind of love in a thousand years. But we can, I believe this with all my heart too, we can pass it on to someone if it's already been given to us, and Jesus Christ to us, what he did on the cross. So you have to change your approach to God, verses four through seven. The ultimate source of that is Jesus Christ. When you have been graced in that way, then you operate in a whole different way. Now, we really want to grow in grace. I hope you do as well. Uh, that's what our verse is this year, our theme, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to grow. I've already made that abundantly clear. I hope you want the same thing. If you're a Christian and you're here this morning, don't mistake gifts for graces for grace from God. A lot of times, a lot of people have done that and they have went down the wrong path because if you start to mistake your gifts for God's grace, then you're going to start to be filled with pride because it's going to be more about you than it is about the Lord or anybody else. And so real growth helps us to understand everything I am, everything I do, everything I accomplish in the grace of God. Not me. I have no ability. That's why Paul continues to say, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. You gotta have, you gotta, he gives wonderful lists and then finishes with, don't mean a thing. So what? You're nothing. That's what Jesus said in, in, uh, somewhere in the New Testament. Without, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. That's a big, big statement. Look at your life today, friend. Are you growing? Ask someone who knows you, if you dare. Young people, ask your parents. Uh, Wives, ask your husband. Husbands, ask your wife. Am I growing as a Christian? Are you happier than you were a year ago? Are you humbler than you were a year ago? Are you more self-forgetful? Are you kinder? Is your prayer life better? Do, don't mistake your gifts for grace, we want to grow in him how ultimately the question today is how is your love how's your are we basing our love on the abundance of God's love He gave us? You know what that will help you do friend it'll help you to love the unlovely <clears throat> now I have said often that this sacred desk here and amongst ourselves on Sunday mornings we want to be honest with each other amen that's the only way to be let's just be brutally honest with each other. And I can say this honestly. Some people are hard to love. I'm not, not saying you, nobody that's here today, but some people. Some people are hard to love. And, it's, and then the Bible says to love our enemies, love our neighbors. We're to love. And what do you do with those that are hard to love? Well, I've, I've dealt with that because as a pastor, I'm supposed to love each and every person in the church, and I do, but it's not always easy. <coughs> Sometimes people make it a little difficult but I'm not loving them from my own reservoir. I'd run out so fast it'd make your head spin. I want my life and my ministry to be a pass-through of God's love for me that I can then give to others to cross. It makes that difference. Because if we recognize what He did for us, there is no pride. There can't be. We realize what He's done. And then we can love others. How's your love today? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. And have the pianist come up to respond today. It's a pretty simple question today. I know we covered so much, so much ground through this chapter, but how is your love today? Maybe you've heard this message and you've identified some ways and maybe your love is selfish. It's more about you than it is about other, about the Lord, about other people. How's your love? Has it been behavioral or have you been working at the heart level? As we all stand, heads bowed, eyes closed.